Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor, and my goal in life and purpose is to help people to live positively through the many and varied challenges of life. And you can find out more about the radio show at journeytosuccessradio.com. And today we have two very special guests, uh, co-authors of... A couple of the co-authors of an upcoming book called Journeys to Success, Empowering Stories Inspired by the Principles of Napoleon Hill. One of our guests, I've seen her Think and Grow Rich book, and it's barely a book anymore. It's a combination of duct tape and paper clips and all kinds of things holding it together. (laughs) And so, Shannon, you uh, introduce yourself because that's your Think and Grow Rich copy I'm referring to. Oh, wonderful. Yes, exactly. I've had it so long I had to go out and buy another uh, book. But you saw how how and what condition it was in. (laughs) 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 So my, actually, my business is about helping people as well, how they can present themselves to the world in a more successful, powerful, and commanding way. So my business is called Premier Image International, and it Actually, it's a finishing school for adults. Adults. Yes. So I Neat. started out. Mm-hmm, I started out my business by dressing people. I had a boutique in Burlington for five years, and I had. Oh, I've modeled. I've been. A, I'm a nurse by profession. I've. I've um, been in sales most of my life. That's what we do, actually. All always. Even right. a mother sells her her son. Uh, the maybe the Cheerios that uh, <laughs> she has instead of the cornflakes that he wants. So, <laughs> no, <laughs> it's selling yourself first. And during my pro- process over the last twenty years, I studied uh, extensively with uh, the, the gurus of the personal development industries, and I've taken many courses. And I'm always growing and developing. And I've asked my my clients who are asking me for products and programs. I developed them myself because I was uh, I was doing most of them myself. And I was giving a lot of the work to other other associates that I was working with, and so my my uh, business started off by dressing uh, people for success and expanded into presentation skills, manners, business etiquette, dining programs to international protocol. So over the years, I have worked with uh, top. Fortune 500 companies in North America, traveled across North America, and uh, trained throughout North America as well. (laughs) So it's been quite a journey. Wow. One of my associates, uh, Lois, I've known for quite a long time, and actually when I'm working with my client in the first uh, uh, session, we do a lot of needs analysis, and I do a personal brand audit with them, and I find out a lot about uh, their goals and personalities and what they want to achieve, and sometimes it's about losing that 10 pounds or maybe 30 pounds, and looking, being able to look in the mirror and have more self-confidence, more credibility, and more authority. Mm. And, you know, more brand identity so that they can have more success in all of their lives, in every area of their lives. So that's uh, very interesting. And actually, I I have some very interesting quotes for you. There's a UCLA study uh, I had done maybe a little while ago, but it goes like this. It's a fact. Humans think visually. You create a personal brand that is distinct or you become extinct. (laughs) (laughs) 
that is no, a good one. It used to be that we make judgments about others, oh, maybe one, 60, one minute, 60 seconds. With the fast pace that we're in these days, it's 10 seconds. So we either make it or break it in the first 10 seconds of meeting someone. Wow. That's not a lot of window to make an, uh, an impression, so you better no. be prepared before you go. That's absolutely right. And it depend, doesn't depend on, on uh, your education, uh, where you are, what you do for a living. Uh, so we all need a personal brand, even it, it, whether you're going for your first interview for a job at the local deli. Uh, before we do anything, of course, we have to be clean. And our number one accessory is our grooming, and it starts from there. Right, and a lot of that uh, as well has to do with uh, body language, I would imagine, like a smile, a genuine smile, a good yes. handshake, and walking in a... Your posture will indicate a lot about your self-confidence and how you feel about yourself. And so, as you said, clean and dressed well and properly for the situation, but also with those uh, character traits behind them of self-confidence, a genuine smile and a good handshake. Yeah. Uh, those things relay a lot. And as you said, you only have 10 seconds to get them across. So better to practice these things ahead of time and plan them rather than hope for the best. Uh, you know, yeah. some people, they say, oh, this guy's a natural salesperson. Well, maybe there's a few of those, but the rest of us really have to practice what we're going to say, what we're going to look like, how we're going to present ourselves. And I read your book, and boy, there were so many things I didn't know. And, you know, I knew please and thank you. My parents taught me please and thank you well, and I've done that a lot. But, boy, there's so much more to it than that, and so amazing. And also, we have today our amazing guest, Lois Ferguson. And by the way, we're all three from the Ontario, Canada uh, area. So uh, we got some good Canadians on the call today. And Lois, your book, ooh, interesting title for your book. Tell us about it and the work you do. Yes, sure. Well, it's really fun to be on the call with uh, with the both of you. And my my book is called Eating for Energy and Ecstasy. And the reason that I wrote that book is, well, I'm a dietitian, so I talk a lot about the science of nutrition, but that can be pretty dull at times. So food really is, is a source of pleasure for our bodies. I mean, it's one of the most primitive sources of pleasure and comfort. So why should we see it as something that is our enemy? How do we have that good relationship with food? So that's the basis of, of my book and work that I do too. So I, I worked with the government, I worked in the food industry, and then I decided it was time to start my, start my own business. And um, and that's what I do. I consult. I do a lot of media work and a lot of presentations all about that that balance between the wisdom that is in our bodies from generations past, balancing that with the science of nutrition. And Shannon and I were having a discussion a little while ago about you know those things that are that we heard in our families, like um, fish is brain food. I remember I had a cousin, and her mom would always give her fish before she had an exam. So it was right. a belief, fish is brain food. And then now what is it science showing us? Yes, it is. We need the omega-3 from fish to really help have a healthy brain. And then we heard um, cranberries help if you have a urinary tract infection. Right. This was a belief right. in years gone by. Now the science shows us why. So it's, it's, it's not putting all of our faith in science all the time. It's also realizing that we have learned so much over the generations. Another example is fermented food. You've probably heard lots of people eating more fermented food these days, right? Mm-hmm. My sister like, does. She does, eh? And sauerkraut, pickles, kefir, yeah. yogurt. And it's because more and more is being understood about the importance of a healthy gut. That's really the majority of our immune system is in our gut. So we need to keep that healthy. So those are the kinds of things that I talk about. And I like to find examples of people who 
see food as pleasure, because that word ecstasy means away from the norm, away from static. It means right. taking life to a place of uh, adventure and rapture. And I found a little story about Julia Child, and the reason that she wanted to learn to cook was to please the gustatory desires of her husband, Paul. He <laughs> not good? So she, and she remembers the the meal that made her so excited and made her see that his pleasure in food and how she wanted to learn how to cook. It was a, a dinner in Paris and it was Sole Meunier. So it was sole and butter and almonds, basically. I've looked up that recipe and made it a few times. And from that, she said, this is, I'm, and this is quoting her now, she said, the whole experience was an opening of the soul and the spirit. I was hooked ah. for life. Wow. So that's, what That's food great, can do for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not just a cook, uh, a good writer as well. <laughs> so this, it just shows too that food, food is a source of pleasure. It can enhance, enhance our relationships with other people. I know something else Shannon and I were chatting about that it, it can even put you in the mood for romance, right Shannon? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it, it's important that uh, we take time for ourselves. And oh, when you have all these special times, Thanksgiving and Christmas and um, New Year's, it, it's, it's a wonderful time to bring friends and family together and also to be cooking and all of the, all of the best conversations help happen over the dining room table. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and, and families today aren't doing that anymore. It's all fast food and nobody has licking their fingers and uh, right. you know, jumping on the sofa. And, what an uh, amazing point that is. <laughs> I'm thinking of my own childhood and like, wow, we had interesting conversations. We had bugging. We had teasing. We had beating the dogs under the table. And that was our best times. Those are things you're going to remember throughout your whole life. And you're right. Now, now, nowadays, they don't sit across from that. Everybody eats at different times. Sometimes they even eat different foods. Sometimes they eat them out of the home. It's like, yeah, you don't get that anymore. Uh, Lois, one thing, though, I because I have rheumatoid arthritis, and uh, Shannon's a nurse, so she'll know that, I guess, uh, and my wife has diabetes, and so some advice has to be tailored, uh, I gather, when you have a disease that affects, uh, uh, what you eat affects your disease. You really have to tailor some of the suggestions Although some of what you were talking about, keeping the gut clean and all that, is applies to everyone, whether they have any illnesses or not. You bet, and and so the nutrition in that case is really part of the part of the not the cure of the disease, but the handling of the disease too. And so that's when it really we do have to turn to science. Say, what do we know? What are the best recommendations when it comes to rheumatoid arthritis connected to food? many other diseases too, and diabetes, we need to really analyze the food at that point to see what we're taking into our body. So so there is that part of it, the analytical part, and it doesn't mean that we can't enjoy our food. And, right. and sometimes by just opening up to different options, to new foods we can try out is to substitute the usual ones. And we can enjoy simple things. Just think of a juicy, juicy orange and just mm. peeling that orange and the juice is running down your fingers and mm. you just close your eyes in ecstasy when you eat the, each of those segments. So, so there's so much pleasure in the simple foods and it doesn't have to be complicated or rich or full of fattening things. It, it can be just plain things too. And just to, to the point that you and Shannon were talking about a few minutes ago about fast, eating fast and there's a phrase that I hear people say oh we should grab a bite and I think whoa grab a bite does that ever sound unappetizing (laughs) right instead of slowing yes you know Lois I I walk along the street going to an appointment or maybe going shopping and I see young people with a slice of pizza in their hand rushing to someplace 
with their cell phone in one hand, the, the slaves in the other hand, and what an impression they make. They have no idea how they're coming across to others. Uh, you're thinking about it from the self-image part or from the image oh, absolutely. side, absolutely. Right? You know, yeah. we're, we're in this hyped up and frenzied world of, of really bad commun- impersonal communication. And, and social media, that phrase, is not social at all. It's a, it's a misnomer because, you know, the cell phone and all these iPads, Z-pads, whatever they are, they're a deterrent to face-to-face communication. And it's right. like, you I know, think like we we want to slow down, don't we, and make that connection and take care of ourselves and present the right image too. I was out to dine uh, oh last month, but we we see this all the time. A, a family of four came in and they they sat down, and the parents were probably in their late thirties, and the children were in you know, ten, eleven, twelve age group. They all sat down. They didn't look at the the menu. They had their cell phones, and each one of them were were on their cell phone and not looking up at anything. Uh, how are how are people raising children today in this age? You know, there it's great for you and I because there's more people that know to, need to know how to dine wine and act fine. Right. <laughs> how, to, how to enjoy, how to yeah, slow down. How to slow down. In fact, I'm putting together a course for a company right now called uh, the Fast Trackers and geared specifically for that young group coming out of university, uh, young people in their 20s, um, to able to communicate more effectively, more clearly, and be able to put their thoughts together in a sentence. <laughs> Very good. That's, that's useful, for, useful for the rest of, every, of their life, too. Absolutely. Yes. So the skills that you teach and what I teach are investments in, in the rest of their life. I think so. And, and for others, too. Yes. I wonder if I could just share a little a little image with you. And it's about slowing down and it's about connecting with other people. And I, I call it a fantasy picnic. So if you can just imagine this, it's a warm, lazy Sunday afternoon. You wander over the lush green grass to dappled shade under a sprawling maple tree. Here's the perfect place to smoothly spread your precious patchwork quilt. You take your treats that were neatly tucked away in your wicker picnic hamper and arrange the food on the quilt. What a perfect way for you and your friend to get grounded after your exhilarating hot air balloon ride. Oh, that's wonderful. I love it. You can wow. picture. Oh, you're, oh here's what they ate. I forgot to tell you. First, they'll sh- they share smooth and spicy pate with slices of creamy brie with chunks of chewy, crusty baguette. Then you'll feed each other fresh, juicy strawberries and mouthfuls of the darkest and best bittersweet chocolate, all the time sipping bubbling, sparkling water and sharing stories about how beautiful the world looks when you're floating lazily over it in a basket. Oh, my goodness. It just takes some imagination, don't you think, to plan these little occasions for somebody you care about. Right. You know, I can see the the woman in her long gown, uh, Victorian style with her hat and the umbrella and uh, the man with his bowler straw hat on and all decked out, you know, in those days. (laughs) They were. And and just totally enjoying that. Oh, it's got to be in Paris by by the water. (laughs) That would be wonderful. (laughs) But someone, which one of you said earlier about, oh, Shannon, you know, know, about parents and how they raise their kids. Like, boy, like it was so good to actually have parents communicate with you and teach you wisdom and tell you things. You know, when we used to have to take a four-hour drive from Ottawa to Toronto, you had to talk to your parents. <laughs> you couldn't stare at a phone or poke at an iPad or you couldn't ignore everybody in the car for four hours. You had to talk to each other. And this is where you get some of the most 
humorous stories and most memorable advice and wisdom you get as a as a, a child. And nowadays, it seems like parents are abdicating it to, all right, whatever Google tells you, like, just go with that, or with whatever YouTube tells you, just go with that. And so there's not so many handed down wisdom from generations and generations before. You know, I have a, I belong to the Rotary. uh, And, and one of, at lunch one afternoon, I was, I was sitting next door to uh, a fellow member and he has a 13 year old daughter and he, they're very careful with her. They monitor her very, very well. And uh, she's the only child. So he, he took her. She wanted to go shopping. She's meeting her young her friend at the mall at a certain place that he would pick her up and, and drop her off. Uh, but he would always go in to make sure she was fine. She had this a cell phone. Her her friend had a cell phone. So after two hours of shopping, uh, they called and they wanted to be coming come home. And so he went to pick them up and went. And as he went through to the the uh, bench where they were sitting, each of them were on the cell phone. And there was no contact between the two of them at all. So he, once he he called their name, they looked up, and uh, he, he said, "Well, who are you talking to?" And he said, "We're talking to each other." Oh my gosh! Now that's what's happening. Oh my gosh! Sitting next to each other, and they're texting each other. Right. How sad is that? Right. You miss the tone of a voice, you miss the facial expressions, the body language, and all the joys that go with real human interaction. Yes, and I think we crave we crave that interaction. It nourishes us. And and I right. think another thing, I know Tom, you were talking about riding in the car and with your family and how lovely that feels. And and another way that people can connect is cooking together. So it doesn't, once again, it doesn't have to be big and complicated, but just simple things, cooking together and being able to pass those recipes down from one generation to the next generation, uh, that's such an enriching experience. And then we feel that love that is within our family, within the generations, whenever we make that pie that Aunt Gertie used to make. We know how to make the turkey just like Grandma did. Yeah, it's another language, isn't it, of family. Right, and now uh, parents are teaching them, well, here's how to defrost this, and here's how to microwave this. (laughs) Oh, my. Do you know, I have a wonderful memory of my grandmother, and they 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 were farmers, and actually they had had a tract of land from the Hudson Bay Company. Can you believe that? Wouldn't wow. it be wonderful to have that uh, piece of paper saying that, to see that in, 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 in writing? Anyway, they had cows and chickens, and it was all, always my uh, job to uh, gather, the, the, gather the eggs uh, in the chicken house, in the chicken coop. Uh, but that wasn't what I was going to chat about. Me, My grandmother, uh, they, of course, uh, they milked the cows. And the, the creamer, have you ever seen a creaming machine? Yes. Uh, where they load the, they put the, the big uh, con- tin containers. And as the, uh, as the uh, milk sits in the can, the, cream rises to the top. Yes. And my, my, my grandmother used to make the best whipping cream ever. And I remember she used to make well, homemade bread, obviously. And the, the, the smell coming from the kitchen was, oh, mm-hmm. oh absolutely wonderful. And, and she made her own raspberry preserves. So we would have raspberry preserves with this Fabulous whipping cream, and you cannot buy that today. But you can. Mm-hmm. You have the memory, and it lasts and lasts and lasts. Oh, 
my dad told me that story about the cream that rises from the milk when he was a kid, and you know, whoever <laughs> got to eat it or whoever got there first was like the beneficiary of just delicious, delicious oh. cream. And so I was thinking, Lois, about your uh, point there that. When my dad was a business person uh, for DuPont, a salesperson for explosives, he, instead of inviting customers by themselves to meet at a restaurant with him, he would have them over for dinner at our house, him and his oh. wife, and have them over. And like, it's hard to say no to uh, somebody who's trying to sell you something when he has you over to his home, has his wife cook you a beautiful, delicious home-cooked meal, and spend face-to-face time with someone for two, three, four hours. Um, And you just don't get that kind of intimacy of relationships now because, okay, let's meet at uh, Tim Hortons and you talk for half an hour and away you go. But imagine someone selling you something and they invite you to their house, meet their wife, meet their kids, have a great home-cooked meal. That, That is... That is a pretty persuasive way to uh, convince someone to do something, right? It is, and it's it's persuasive, and it's personal, and uh, it makes us vulnerable too, right? Because we are opening ourselves up. Um, And I think by being vulnerable, that's how we really make those long-lasting memories and those long-lasting connections. And there's something about satisfaction um, and food, and and I... I think that that's what we need to really listen to our body. In one way, we need to listen. When are we hungry? Um, and know, am I eating? Am I do? Am I feeling hunger in my stomach? In other words, is it a physical thing, or is it an emotional thing? Am I mixed up? Am I afraid? Am I nervous? Is that why I feel I would eat now to take my mind off something? So, I think it's that honesty about, am I really hungry? And then. Sometimes people are afraid that they can't stop eating, um, and that that can be an eating disorder. But even for other people, too, it's like eating without consciousness, without awareness. We just keep mm-hmm. on eating, maybe because it tastes good, maybe because we're enjoying a conversation, but it's not really good to keep pushing the food in when our body really is trying to say, you know what, I'm really satisfied, and I don't need right. anything else. And, and I think also when when we have the very best, like you said, the cream, not half and half, not 10%, mm-hmm. the real deal, then you don't need very much because you are getting what you want. You are feeling satisfied. Right, exactly. And so often my wife and I will be at a restaurant and I'm like five foot one, 115 pounds, so the servings they give... Like, Mm. if I ate all of that, I would feel sick rather than pleasant or happy about what I ate. And then we often ask ourselves, like, people eat all of what's on this plate. Like, boy, you don't have to. You could take some home. You could send some back. But there's no forcing you to eat everything that a restaurant puts on that plate because it could be way too much. And you kind of lose the pleasure of eating when you feel bloated and sick after. You do. That's true. My husband and I do, when we go to a restaurant, we order one and share it. That's what we do, too. Okay, (laughs) nice. Yeah, yeah. So we're not crazy after all. (laughs) My wife and I do that, too. Or sometimes we'll order an appetizer. It's like if it's a big appetizer, nachos or something, it's like that could be our meal. And, uh, you know, we drink water and just put a lime in it and and have nachos and you split it and then you enjoy and remember the food rather than getting home like, oh, I wish I hadn't ate so much. <laughs> exactly. Also, yes, on that note, when you sit down to eat at a more of an, you know, an average type of restaurant and I ha- I always say we've got time we're not in a hurry we want to enjoy the evening and we're going to have a good chat but you have to say it otherwise they bring everything at once as quick as they can and they want the turnover as fast as they can get it to so <laughs> don't you find that yes it's uh, inauthentic it's like okay let's just get to the point let's here's what i'm trying to persuade you 
way I go. Uh, that's not really how deep, authentic, genuine relationships are built. And you may make a sale, but uh, it may not be like a, a permanent sale. That person can chop you out every year. Whereas if you build a genuine, authentic, getting to know someone beyond just business, uh, you have a friend there. And it's hard to buy from someone else when you have a friend. And so that's really missing, I think, a lot. Well, you and know, those friendships nourish us. Yes, mm-hmm. business is about building relationships. It's not about going to one of the top uh, coffee shops in in around where it's so noisy. It's so uh, right. it doesn't. It's not conducive to uh, conversation, um, and it's not a place to be doing any business whatsoever. I just experienced this a little while ago with someone that I had contacted to uh, if there was a potential of a business to open, just to open up dialogue. So the fellow kept looking at his watch, not his watch, he doesn't have a watch, he had a cell phone there, and of course it's right there on the table. Um, I felt... I didn't feel very important. I felt as if he was squeezing me in. Uh, He was rushing. He was rude. Uh, Let's get down to business, and uh, that's it. What can you do for me, and how much can I make, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Not good. No, it's eating fast. Grab a bite, like we said. Or, you know, another phrase that I've heard people say is, oh, yeah, I'll throw something in the oven. Why don't you come on over? It just sounds like so impersonal, doesn't it? Versus on the other end of the I know Shannon and I were having a chat about how do you make somebody feel important and precious and one way is to make their favorite food for them. I bet you and your wife do that, right, Tom? Sometimes you know what you know what your partner likes to have. Oh, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the best things to say, uh, oh, uh, uh, easy to make. I don't have a great number of recipes, but when I do make them, man, they get recognized, it's appreciated. I taste better, too, even though it may not taste as good. But when mm-hmm. someone you love makes it for you, you really appreciate that meal more than even a five-star restaurant meal of the same thing. Yes, you do, well, and it's all about consideration and just the opposite of that experience that Shannon had. It's, it's. Um, hmm. So maybe, maybe what that in experience was telling you, Shannon, that that person wasn't the business associate you want to have. Tell you the truth, I didn't want to do business with him after my meeting, I, uh, and uh, he's not—he's not the kind of person that I would identify with because he had no value for my time or what I stood for. So he actually needed my 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 work. He needed my coaching, <laughs> and you know, uh, I have <laughs> another quote here for you. Bring, talking about about how to eat wine, dine, and act fine. Oscar Wilde once said, the world's my oyster until I use the wrong fork. (laughs) 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 One of of the uh, programs that I have is around dining. And I take people out to dine. It's a personal coaching or... um, executive dining program for several people um, at a fine restaurant. And, you know, people don't understand excellence today. Uh, We're all so mediocre in everything that we do. If you go to Europe and you're in Venice and you're you're sitting in the uh, Mark's Town Square and having a coffee, at a beautiful little side um, outside patio, you receive your coffee uh, with a doily, a little paper doily, or sometimes it's even material underneath your coffee cup on your saucer. Why can't we do that here? Instead of having a great big mug filled with coffee and you're spending 6 or $7 for some ridiculous uh, coffee that's so strong you can't drink it, and it's, it's thrown, everything's thrown at you. It's and they have to, that but, same. Mm-hmm. you know, 
um, so there's there's no relaxation, there's no pleasure, as you say, Lois, you know, um, and they might put a chocolate there, or they might have have a nice cookie, something, and you come back to North America, unless you go to Quebec City or Montreal, you don't get that unless you're going to a very, very fine restaurant, so it, it, I, it's so sad. When I'm, and I think yes, I think when once you've experienced that too, then you you're not you're not satisfied with mediocre. Once you've had a taste of of pleasure and of care, then that's what you want, isn't it? Absolutely, and you want more of it. And the and that's actually the the I think uh, restaurants are really losing a big market. Uh, because we are in, I don't want to go to have tea and be sitting next to someone that's on their cell phone, or go go out to a beautiful romantic uh, dinner with your your best your best buddy or your best fellow, and you hear hear two people uh, hardly conversing, and they're they've each got their cell phone and they're talking on their cell phone. I think right. that cell phones are going to be banned from a, a better restaurants very shortly. I think that people should, when you go out to eat, you should enjoy the experience as yes. well as the food. You know, if you walk away talking about the experience and the people and how you are treated, um, you could have you could have average food, but if you get extraordinary treatment and finesse and niceties and extras. And you walk away thinking you got the best deal in the world and that you're gonna looking forward to going back another time. It's yes. true. I mean that's how they can they they can increase their business just by making people feel very cared for and very special. It's true. That's what we want. We crave it. Right, so right. Was, there was an article uh, um actually on C B C radio, radio that I listened to. <laughs> They were asking uh, listeners to to write in to their station and tell them about uh, the noises that they hear in the restaurant. And to see, is noise polluting your pleasure? Wow, that was so interesting. It is. I know. Like I was just telling someone last night that you know I do not talk loudly. And to go to restaurants where I have to, like, raise my voice, it doesn't even feel right raising my voice to talk to someone who's across the table from me. Yes. You don't want to do that. I remember I was meeting Shannon one time for coffee, and I thought, oh, Shannon's on the street, not inside the coffee place. And uh, I said, oh, I thought we were going inside. And she said, it's too noisy. We're going to find another place. And we <laughs> did. And that new place is the place we go to all the time now because it's a cozy little corner we can go into. There's lots of space, and it's, we're not competing with everybody else. Well, you know, uh, the, the designers of restaurants, the fast food ones, I, they they do that on purpose. They create uh, the atmosphere that uh, acoustics are are terrible. Uh, everything is smaller. Not chairs aren't comfortable. Uh, the people behind the counter are in a hurry. So they 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 get you to being in that mood, and and that you feel that we are we are very sensitive creatures and when we don't pay attention to ourselves and to what's happening around us we're lo- the losers but they're the biggest losers because they're you'll never go back there right and as a business person it might be wise to find these places and when you do have a meeting suggest you know this is a great spot it's nice and quiet and quaint and great service uh, it kind of makes someone feel special that you invite them to, that you're invited to their special place or that you took the time to suggest somewhere where they'll enjoy a nice experience rather than just a coffee that's handed to them over a counter. Yes. One of the areas that I cover in teaching people how to dine, wine, and act fine is about uh, stealing the lunchtime deal. 
how to be a gracious host and hostess over lunch. Where, I'll give you some very interesting tips, this is what I tell my clients. If you are dining with, uh, taking people out to dine as part of your business, then I would suggest that you have, you go to three different restaurants on your own and you get a feel for the surroundings and the waiters and the staff and the Try the menu. Uh, find the the maitre d. Introduce yourself so that you can create a personal relationship with him. Of course, you know a fifty dollar bill doesn't uh, that does work wonders. fifty dollars, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> so when you when you make your reservation, uh, he knows who you are. You walk in the door. He knows your name and he calls you. Well, Mr. Smith, Mr. Brown, uh, you're welcome. And greet your client in the foyer of the the restaurant. Use that restaurant and that area as your living room so that it's very personal. You can help that person off with his coat. Um, let him uh, precede you to the table. Never sit at the table and, and play with the, the, anything on the table. Uh, fiddle with your fork. Put your napkin on your lap. None of that. They should see a pristine table at as always. So to make sure that you're being the perfect host, meet them in the in the foyer, as I said, and then take them to the table. Uh, we've got a little bit of the static here. Is it mm. me? <laughs> oh, sounds good. And, so, uh, the, and all and those things you, make an impression for sure, don't they? Yes, and when do you bring up uh, business? How do you introduce it? Um, it's it's the first thing you do about that is to make sure that you, the first call that you place for the invitation is saying, um, telling that person, but I'd like to invite you out to lunch. I have some business to discuss with you. So you're setting him up. So he knows that the reason why you're going there. And if it's not the reason for business, then what is the reason? Right. Maybe it's uh, getting his support for your rotary event. I don't know. I, I've done right. that many times myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. And so this goes a lot along with what you talk about, so, uh, Lois. It's not just simply the nutrition, I imagine, that you work with, but it's the as you said, enjoying it and the pleasure of it and the uh, intimacy of uh, like a home-cooked special meals, special foods. Uh, uh, Yeah, there's so many bad connotations around food now. Oh, this is bad for you. Oh, this is bad for you. You shouldn't eat too much of this. Um, There must be some positive words and thoughts and, and pleasure we can have in eating things, even if they are healthy things like I remember, too, I dated a, a vegetarian when I was in my mid-twenties, and for a year I ate, like, vegetarian. I was like, wow, I didn't even know this vegetable existed. <laughs> and, you know, it's cooked without this, and it's all clean, and it's pure. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even know these foods existed. I found a rice cream ice cream bar, and it has no sugar, <laughs> no dairy, and I was like, oh, my gosh, they can't possibly make such healthy desserts taste so good. And so there's some real pleasure uh, in the eating, not just the thinking, oh, i got to eat this because it's healthy for me. And that kind of takes away the pleasure and the energy and the enjoyment of food. And food is something that we have to eat, something we have to do. We should enjoy it rather than just, well, i got to eat these. I don't like them, but they're good for me. And, and we have our five senses that really help us enjoy the food. So I'm just looking at a picture right now of a strawberry dipped in chocolate with like milk chocolate. And then it has little lines of dark chocolate drizzled over the light chocolate. So mm-hmm. you can just imagine how that strawberry is going to taste. So first it's a visual, the red strawberry and the chocolate. And then you could put that up to your nose and take a little whiff and the molecules go right from 
that you need to smell go right up to your brain very, very quickly. And mm-hmm. you can smell those aromas and that they're so beautiful. And you just, then your mouth starts to water because you're just anticipating, oh my goodness, this is going to be good. And then you bite into it and you feel that softness mixed with the little slight crunchiness yeah. of the chocolate part. So, and then you chew it slowly. And what a lovely experience with a very simple food. And we can, maybe then we want to give that to somebody else and put it into their mouth and just mm-hmm. have fun and realize that we are blessed to enjoy our senses when it comes to food. And we get to, at least three times a day, enjoy food and and then see that it, it does nourish us and it nourishes our feelings and our relationships with other people. So that's the eating for energy and ecstasy part. Sure, we need it for energy. That's right, we do. And why don't we also use it, not abuse it, um, as a source of pleasure too. Right. Yes. Uh, too many people just don't, they see too much negative in food and eating and boy you really rob yourself out of a lot of joy you eat three times a day you might as well be enjoying it have great energy from it and making it special because uh, you're going to do a lot of it and you should be aware of the pleasures involved and as you're talking about yeah holding it in your hand and licking it off your fingers and smelling it you know there's rooms you can walk into you smell something and like brings you back like 40 years before when you smelled it the first time or when your mom made it the same. And, boy, you can really connect with all the senses just with the enjoyment and taking time to enjoy everything about the meal from how it smells, how it tastes on your fingers, uh, all of those nice things. Yes, that's right. uh, Yes, that created a wonderful visual. And I'm going to relate that to image. Uh, we, how many, I, I don't know about you, but I, well, we are all book people for sure. Uh, when I go to a bookstore, when I go to a bookstore, it's like a candy shop for me. And yeah. I may, I may not know what I'm going there for, but it's getting back to that strawberry. You, all of a sudden you see something down the aisle. It's, visual it there's something about that that presentation that forces you to walk ahead stand still look at what there is there and you it, there's something about the book in front of you it's the cover the color the pic the the photograph the co- the the entire package that compels you to pick it up and and peek inside it's just like that strawberry. You're looking at it, you're feeling it, you're touching it, you're you're going to take a bite. So it's the same with us. We're going to take a bite out of out of that person or that book. And that is the first visual that gets you excited. If right. you didn't have that visual, um that gets your attention. So in ten seconds, Lois, you gave me a fabulous impression on in your story. We do the same with people. That's that's how important and critical first impressions are. In a way, I can see the parallel for just using a strawberry. Maybe it's a person that put on a sweater that morning and it's all wrinkled, and they think, "Oh, no one will notice." And it's like turning the strawberry around on the back. It has a big moldy spot. That's we, right. We, exactly. We need to be aware of our image. Yes. Right. And you know, so many people are, are don't pay attention. They and it's not the the big thing that breaks the camel's back. It's paying attention to the small little details. Um, as an example, it, when I have a dining program, the 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 tablecloths are certain lengths from the from the the floor all the way around. If I had four tables and one was a foot shorter, what's the first thing that you'd see? The short tablecloth. It, it's the unpressed shirt. Uh, it, it's the it's the shoes that aren't shined. It, it's the out of style hairstyle. 
It's mm. not being current, and it's not about spending a lot of money and being a walking, fa- walking fashion plate out of our GQ magazine or Vogue. Right. And it's, it's about having, a commanding presence, too. Uh, yes. One of my greatest it, friends, like when I first met him, like, he wasn't dressed in a suit or anything, but just commanded attention. Like, it's like like you're talking about the book in the bookstore that just draws your attention. And we we are great best of friends. We call each other brothers now. But wherever he will go, if he starts telling a story, like people gather around, and that kind of charisma and storytelling and and presence is infectious. And it if is. you can get that, if you can become that type of person, that's infectious. That people enjoy being around you. That brand is going to really take you places. So I went into uh, chapters just after my book came out. And, of course, I was in chapters in Indigo across Canada. And um, I was just stopping in to see what was happening. And my book, Power Manners, was sitting on the shelf next to Oprah's book. No. I looked at that and I thought, where's the camera? I need a camera. I've got to take a picture <laughs> of this. So I, I ran home to get um, a camera, got waylaid along the way, and had several phone calls uh, that I had to answer as soon as possible. And I forgot about that. And about a week later, I went back and... my I had five books on the shelf and three were gone and so was hers. <laughs> so I never got to take my picture. <laughs> but you have it now, yeah. and you've shared it with us, so we can picture that too. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Can yeah. you imagine wow. having your 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 book right next to Oprah's, and and she's got her they they had her book facing outward, and mine was sort of next door in a row. So mm-hmm. I had the 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 binding the. You know, the, oh, the, yeah, yeah, the title. The title right in their face. It was, was in their face, but not my picture. Here she ah. was. <laughs> oh, it was so, so great. That would be quite an honor. Wow. We remember, we savor these things, don't we? And then we can we can keep the energy, just like we, we remember the lovely experiences with food around the table and the, right. the things that are important for us and also that, that move us ahead. And sometimes we do need to to reach out to other people, to experts like Shannon, the image expert, or when it comes to food, to make changes about healthy living, we sometimes, well, we need to find out what works for me. I notice that people, some people are different. One person might want to keep a journal, and that that journal is their means of reporting in or some accountability. Or others might have a support group like a mastermind group. Or others might just make goals and then make sure that they're realistic goals and keep checking in. And I think that when we want to make changes about our nutrition, about our health, about our image, we need to go to the experts, learn what is important, and then make a plan that we can stick with so that we keep going in the right direction. If we have a little discouraging time sometimes, we need that encouragement again and get right back on track and make a change, even if it's a tiny change. And then we build momentum and keep going to be that very best person and healthiest person we can be. And if you can work it into the way they already do their planning or their goal setting or their accountability, as you said, with all those different groups or journaling, uh, if you can fit it into what they're already used to, they don't have to really learn a new habit. They just have to learn how to share their new habit, either in writing or with their friends. And so it's not it's not like having to learn how to eat and then uh, learn a different way of communicating it to uh, reinforce it within your own habit. Yes, and then the more that you do that and teach others, the more it becomes part of every cell in your body. Right. Yes, you wow. know the distinction between top professionals who boast high incomes and continually attract the, the highest clients are those who, and those who don't, 
is personal brand identity, that charismatic personality. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can have, you could even have charismatic, even if you're an introvert. I would say I'm an introvert, but you can still have a charismatic personality, even if you're not the loudest person in the room or the most verbose person in the room. You can still have that charisma that people just want to be around you. You know, and I think a lot that's of knowing people... yourself. Yeah, and, sorry, yeah. knowing yourself and and having that confidence to express who you are inside. Right. And the authenticity to share your real self, um, stories, and be comfortable sharing stories, all those make a big impression. Yes. And it's not about, the way I'm, I look at my business, it's not about helping others uh, be something that they're not. It's not about being fake and phony. It's about bringing all those inherent qualities that that, that person has the on the inside to the outside so they can sparkle and shine, so they can have more charisma, more confidence, more credibility, and it's being congruent and consistent. So you're not going to work one day in a casual outfit and the next day you're all gussied up. So these are the power skills uh, for business and social success, and it's not about having a lot of money and spending a lot of time, money, and energy in, in developing your personal brand. You know, we walk down the street, and sometimes you see someone, and you don't know what it, what it is about them. But right. they, have, they have something very unique. They may not be a, uh, have the latest styles on, uh, and, but there's just something that, that commands you, and they pulls you towards them. And that is having a magnificent, a credible, authentic brand. Right. They look comfortable in their skin and they're self-confident and you're like, wow, that person, you are, yeah, you get fascinated uh, with some people just because of the way they hold their posture and their body and and it's kind of fascinating that, oh, even without speaking, you could become interested in who this person is. I I think so, too. And also, I think that it's what has made that happen. Maybe they have received some good guidance along the way to encourage them to be who they really are. Maybe they've had somebody like Shannon, a coach, telling them, you know what? That's you. Go for it. Be you. Be proud of who you are. And then that power comes out of them forever and ever. Right, and whatever attire they're wearing, whether it's during a work day or even just on a weekend, where you have that presence that looks like, boy, that person is really comfortable in their skin. And uh, that gives you a kind of a unique impression of someone without even speaking with them. And if you can carry that around with you, um, you're going to attract the right friends, the right business people, the right business opportunities, and so it all goes really together, and and it's I think in the end it's kind of about being mindful, mindful of who you're with, and how can I, you know, treat them with the utmost attention and care and respect, and go a little further even, and make the right atmosphere. How can I make this pleasurable for them? Uh, how can I make this an experience that they'll remember not just what I said, but how mm. they felt. And so amazing. Uh, I think this is what we're talking about. Absolutely. And and it's, you know, one of the biggest things I do for my clients, they know that I'm in their, their court. And my focus is 100% on them. And I listen. Listening, mm. you know, it's a big skill. And we aren't listened to. We're not given kudos. We aren't given pats on the back. And we're, society is missing that. It, it's driving, similar to driving down the road with three people in, the, people in your car, and nobody's talking to each other. Right. Yeah, it's a shame. Yes, yeah. we all appreciate that support. 
Well, ladies, we've gone an hour, and we probably could go seven more uh, because there's so much to both of these topics. But uh, we'll have to cut it off, but I think there's probably a series of interviews in here uh, because uh, this affects everybody in their personal life as well as their business life and the pleasure of their lives and the mindfulness of the blessings we have and the people we have in our lives and so thank you so much i really think we do have to do this <laughs> a few more times and get a few more points across uh, but uh, it's a fascinating discussion for people to really be attentive to their lives and the people around them and the impressions they're making yes thank, thank you. you thank you very it much was, it was wonderful it was for you to even consider us. <laughs> well, I don't often do series, so I, I rarely ever suggested like a, a series of other talks, but I think we need to do that, and it has been a real pleasure for me. Now I'm like excited. It's evening time for me, but now I'm like, wow, what a pleasant and great conversation, and that's the way that uh, real genuine friendships are built, and I think that's what we're trying to talk about through these, uh, through what we talked about today and other things we'll talk about in the future. Have a great evening, ladies. Thank you so Thank much you. for your time. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Tom. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email Tom at tomtutall.com for details.